So we're back for a bit of Very Heroic Living. How's it going, Aaron? What's up? Good to see you again, my dude. It's been about a year since our first episode, and I wanted to take a moment today and say happy anniversary, bro. It's a happy special episode. Happy anniversary. So uh, before we get started, I wanted to take a, a little bit of a break here and say thank you to my <laughs> good friend, my producer, my reluctant co-host. Oh, stop. <laughs> Aaron Hodges. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Really, though, uh, Aaron and I have known each other for almost 30 years. Wow. I did the math today. Yeah, we're old. It's really crazy. And I wanted to give you a shout out, aside from saying thanks for you know helping me make the podcast happen. Um, a, a professional shout out to you know, <laughs> Aaron Hodges of You Lucky Dog Podcasts. I appreciate it, man. Thank uh, you very much. It's been a pleasure working with you for this year, man. Um, you know, we didn't know where it was going to go when we started, and I think it's been a good journey. I think so, too. And for especially not having any idea what I was doing, you made this really easy to get into and helped me through even getting involved with the editing process and all that. So I think anybody who's interested to work with somebody on a podcast or any other kind of project that you might be offering welcoming and proficient and awesome support through the whole thing. So thanks, man. Well, thanks, man. I didn't know we were getting a plug off the top, but yeah, go ahead. Check out youluckydogpodcast.com. Well, you've been avoiding the plug for a long time. So I wanted to start off with this, you know, it's a one year show. It's right. A little special day. I wanted to start it off with a little shout out to you. So with that, a thank you gift. <laughs> oh God. May your firewood be dry. This and, is embarrassing. <laughs> and your raging bonfires be, be smoke free. What? What is this? Right, we right. hang out. We hang out outside. So I, I thought I, some accoutrements for the outdoor fires might be a, a nice gift, right? I'm this, not trying to. This is, I'm not trying to blow any smoke up. I, I mean, I think come I, on, man. I, I got I got a gift and a pun. I appreciate it, but I do have to paint the picture for the listeners here of what's <laughs> happening. And uh, not to embarrass you, but you did say something about wrapping this thing earlier. And uh, what Joseph meant by wrapping is that he took a jacket and wrapped the jacket around this gift and is now holding it like an old time butler really classy scene in here and i'm about to take the top off the turkey and, <laughs> and unveil the present which i think is some kind of smokeless fire kit no i wouldn't get all complex on you <laughs> this is this is as uh basic and straightforward as it gets my dude <laughs> well thank you we, ha we have a tarp to cover the wood oh bungees to hold down the tarp oh Oh, and, you know, dude. some extra bungees in the assortment for whatever else you might need around the house. <laughs> Got to tie up the cats. <laughs> I had a nice little sale at Lowe's. <laughs> bungee cords. I was not expecting bungee cords, but How you man, gonna hold I need bungee cords. This is awesome. There Thank you, go. you so much. There you go. From, from one homeowner to another, bro. And I do need a tarp have... too, man. Uh -huh, I mean, uh -huh, man, uh -huh. wow. This is like, this is excellent. I, I forget all the, the gifts that are coming for, for Christmas and stuff. I told you the other day. Day. I, I had a video game that my wife got me last Christmas and I just saw it again two days before Christmas because I didn't use it at all but uh, I will use these bungee cords and the tarp for sure thank you man appreciate it for yeah, real man. that's awesome nice to be working with good people especially when they get to be friends yeah
So like we were saying, it's been a little over a year since our first episode, talking with guests about different aspects of this shared experience as sentient beings. I think it's perfect that our guest today has been developing skills and evolving as someone who focuses on that shared experience, connecting people with each other, no matter the obstacles or the differences that tend to keep us apart. As part of the special in our episode, Aaron and I drove up to St. Peter's University in Jersey City, my alma mater, and where I met Dan Colgan. I was a freshman at St. Peter's and was soon introduced to him as the director of campus ministry, the perfect role for someone of his talents, bringing people together in a safe space where we could be open and honest. Dan's a storyteller, and he's funny as... He's very funny. We hope you enjoy as he tells us about his journey working in a variety of environments, including starting a new retreat together at St. Peter's College and some of the other experiences that he celebrates as his mission to bring people together. From Glenwood Ave in Jersey City, please enjoy. All right, so Dan, do you have any idea why you're here today? I could say no, but yeah, no, I mean, you, you tell me, say no, could <laughs> no. you say yes? I could say yes. I mean, we, we had a good, uh, catching up a few, what, two months ago, I guess it was with this. So no, I'm, I love what I'm hearing you've done with the previous podcast. And I was thankful to be asked to be here. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for saying yes. I'm glad, like I said, thanks for the effort too. I know you had to get here through the rain. Oh, that's fine. Um, Aaron and I were talking on the way up here that, I was already looking forward to sitting down for this episode and, and seeing you after all these years was, was going to be pretty cool anyway. But we were just talking about how it's been just over a year since our first episode. And this whole effort started off completely blank slate, had no real idea of what I wanted to do, just had some ideas and this kind of concept floating around. And to have an opportunity to sit with you at the end of our first year of, of work like that, kind of like bring things together a little bit, talking to you about connectivity and connecting people and what that means on all these different levels. And I, I knew you from a time when being in campus ministry, it was at least spiritually related, but certainly religiously related. And all of us being at St. Peter's from different places meant a wide variety of things, right? I was like, I think that's one of the reasons why everybody gravitated to you because we had all already had experiences where there were a lot of closed doors or a lot yep. of narrow views or perspectives that just rejected or what have you. And you just kind of were like, yeah, you're you. Cool, come on in. Let's, like, what song are you singing? Yeah. And, you know, and it was always all right. I was like, all right, cool, I'll figure it out. There's a, there's a rhythm here, I know. I'll know it, you know? And we all kind of got along that way. And now it's corporate and team building and it's a little bit more i think what people might consider superficial but from what you and i were talking about it turns out to be a little bit more than that yes and um, so let's talk about this kind of like universal let's get everybody together and on the same page yeah no and and i wanted to say it's great to be here too with you and when you reached out it was like to be able to catch up in person too because i wasn't sure if this was going to be over a computer thing or in person so i was glad we were able to meet here at uh St. Peter's, where it all started. Right, yeah, so, actually it, it, to meet here, not only just to be face-to-face, -face, we're back We're back on Glenwood Ave. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And now it's a university instead of college. But yeah, no, it was, you know, I guess just to give a little bit of background so people know what my deal was, I'm the youngest of 10 in an Irish Catholic family. Ooh. And so, yeah, so always grew up with a lot of people. And I guess for me, I just was always involved in people-related situations, whether it was theater, church, community stuff. And 
at a young age, I was involved with a theater program called uh, Upper Darby Summer Stage. And I think it's close to 50 years now. And you could start when you were turned 11. So I think I got in there even at 10 because I was turning 11 over the summer. So I kind of got in there early. And it was one of the first places where I was an assistant director for a show. I was the head usher for the theater program. And so I'm a 14-year-old working with 11 and 12-year-olds, telling them what to do with, like, here's where to usher and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe I was 16 or something, but it still was this great learning process of just say yes, put yourself in a situations, encounter people where they are. I remember one of the times um, being in the catwalk of above the stage, which is where all the lights would be to help put the film gels sure. in front yeah. of the lights so that they would be different colors. And I'm like, however many feet high, I'm like, okay, what am I doing here? You know, and stuff like, like usually <laughs> right. I'm singing and dancing on the stage uh, and I'm doing this. And, but it allowed me to put myself in other people's shoes and other people's perspectives and not just see the world from my perspective or my shoes, I guess. So that's what I loved about my early stage of growing up was just, I never felt the need to say no. You know, it, it was always a yes, which I laugh because when you learn improv, it's yes and, you know, you know, sure. so it's, yeah. it's, it's ha what, you know, you never say no to a person. You're like, how do you keep it going or how do you make the possibilities happen? So I guess, you know, one of the stories I think I shared with my own inhibition and having to overcome it was when I was in high school and I was going down to help build, I think, our junior prom dance contraption that we were setting up. So we, in our high school, our freshman year dance theme was 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Mm -hmm. Sophomore year was Jungle Love. And then we did Close Encounters of the Third Kind and built a spaceship on the gym floor. It's a really weird theme. For school <laughs> yeah, dance. It is. It's like, you know, this movie starts off with a kidnapping, yes? <laughs> well, well it, it was before all the Amber Alerts, and so no, I'm just joking. But no, I, no but anyway, no, uh, that'll probably get me canceled. Sorry, I should have said that. But anyway, um, but no, so we literally built the dance floor was a spaceship that we built off the ground that people would walk That's into. Fun, yeah. And wow. we did this whole thing. And so, you know, and it could have even been freshman year or sophomore year for building that. But I remember walking down the stairs and being like, okay, I'm the only one out of my friend group that is here with all these other people who grew up together and are friends. And they also went to school with one of my best friends who was a girl at the school next door. And because our schools were divided by a driveway an all boys Catholic school and all girls Catholic school. And they were making fun of her. And I was just like, that's not cool. But then I'm the only one there. So I'm like, do I even want to be with these people or, you know, but I'm here to help. So, you know, and I walked through those doors and I helped and, you know, I got involved and, you know, and I said, you know, I think I did say, you know, that's not cool or whatever. Like I stood up for her and, and, and whatever the situation was, but I was like, I can't be quiet. I can't, which the chagrin of a lot of people with me not being quiet. Um, because they say I talk a lot. I've been called chatty Kathy at times, but anyway, <laughs> um, but I think that's one of the things that I always remember certain milestones or markers of me breaking through that barrier, you know, to say, even if I don't agree with what they say, even if I'm not sure what I'm walking into, I need to have an open mind and encounter people as people because everybody's going through their own stuff. And I think that's what now at 51, it's like, 
I've seen how that has played out and how that's worked for people and stuff. So, you know, I, yeah. So when I first started out, I was doing ministry work for about 20 years from youth ministry and liturgy programs and retreats and churches to then going into a high school, working there for a year and then St. Peter's. Then went over to California for a few years and ran a youth center at a Catholic church for over 200 students and then did intergenerational ministry. So it was really cool, like just kind of expanding it out and, you know, helping, trying to help more people. And then when I came back to the East Coast, during the 2008 uh, crisis, you know, financial crisis, I guess. So no one was really hiring. So I went to Bank of America and got a job there. But what I found interesting, even though I had no right to give financial advice, which is how that crisis happened it, in the first possibly, place. By possibly, the way. possibly. Any but, chance you can tell me what to do with my Bitcoin right now? Yeah, no, that, I wish I understood even what Bitcoin <laughs> was. So, no, I still do, dealt with nickels and dimes and pennies. Mm. Um, but when I worked at Bank of America, everybody was coming in with financial issues. Like, how do I pay for my house? How do I do this? And what I found by working in that industry, in a corporate industry, was the services that they provided for people. So, all of a sudden, I feel like I'm in financial ministry for people, even though I'm working yeah, in a right. corporate world. Still facilitating. Like, guiding. Let me, yeah. let me help you connect to these people or let me be the connector. Uh, one Which client, a lot of people need. Well, and that's the thing. Because yeah. I didn't know what the questions were. I right. didn't know what the answers yeah. were. But these people were coming in. So it allowed me to find a whole new mindset or skill set. And one of my interesting clients was this older gentleman who was having a hard time hearing. And I think social security or something was going to start sending checks through bank of America and you couldn't get them through a certain bank or whatever. So he needed to bring his accounts over to bank of America, but he had a hard time always remembering his pin. He couldn't hear. So I would always work with him because I could boom, my voice to hear. And all the other people were like, Dan, I'm like, I can't because he needs the help. But when we would You're go- You're just a loud guy? Oh, I was the loud <laughs> yeah. one, even with the door shut. You know, that's why I can't probably work in an open space uh, thing. Mm. But um, what was interesting though was when he had to do the pin, I said, think of the four digits you always use. You know, and I'd have this patience with him and then he would do it and it would work. And, you know, we were, because we were like, we know it's you, but there were all these systems in play that you have to do to get through the banking, which is great for the security. But to be able to be a person present for him during that transition and helping work with his old bank to this one, that will always stick with me. You know, that I was there for that moment, you know, like, you know, being called into certain situations. And then I ended up getting into the corporate team building which I do work with schools and nonprofits as well. But the world was getting to what's our vision, what's our mission, what's our what are we trying to do? Like every company has to stand for something. It or, does, yeah. you know, and, and the number of companies that didn't know their mission, like their employees didn't know the mission statement. Yeah. They didn't know the values. They didn't even know how they started. Um, one furniture company I worked with, it was three guys who worked at the mom's kitchen sitting around doing it. And I think they were in a cab and that's when they came up with their company's name um, because they saw something and were like, oh, why don't we and just call it wrote this? And it down on a napkin. And, 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 and yeah, it's that. LLC is formed. And it's that. And it's like, you know, and then it became a successful furniture company. But to work with them, to get them to go back to their roots and then have the new people move forward, that's where the connectivity, and I know it was a long answer, but that's where the connectivity comes in. It's like being present to let the spokes of the wheel connect to whatever's driving them, yeah, you know, and no, it's perfect. And yeah. it's all, and it's all connectivity. Every, every yeah. piece of that stays with the work that you're yeah. doing. And, 
as a professional in the mortgage business, mm-hmm. one of the things people complain about the most when they're dealing with banks is that they end up with customer service instead of any kind of customer support. Mm-hmm. And the it's semantics, but the word service usually ends up being somebody who's stuck in their process. It's supposed to be like this. You're supposed to know your pin. You're supposed to have your stuff. It's supposed to be easy for me. I'm only supposed to have to push these buttons. I'm not supposed to have to raise my voice to try to help you, sir. Or, you know, just so even that is really important because connectivity of services and functions and things when you're talking about your finances in your home is really important. And to like make somebody who's weak in that area, even physically because Mm -hmm. he's deaf, right? Not just like he doesn't understand. Yeah. But you do have to like slow your speech, say things a little bit more properly, just like give a little bit of attention to the person sitting in front of you. And it goes a long way because they're a lot smarter on the inside than whatever the problem, right? So oh, like, totally. Like the connecting them to that, the, to the numbers or to the words a little bit better or, oh, well, this is what I mean when I say these things financially that you've never heard before. Oh, yeah. You know? No, so I mean. That's really important. It is. And, and it's interesting, like you bring up the, and this is where technology comes into a great place because I was at the hospital one time because I think I was, I think I had um, kidney stones or something. And so they passed, but they had done some different tests because they wanted to make sure it was the kidney stones or whatever. But then they saw something around my arteries of my kidney and they were like, oh, we need you to come back. So and I, and that might have been it or it might have been another time. I can't remember now. But um, I was in there and I had another person in the room with me. And he was probably of an Asian um, culture because they had to do Mandarin on this machine. But the, what was so cool about being in the hospital and seeing this experience, the guy needed to learn to re-swallow because of whatever his surgery was or what, whatever they had to do. And so they brought in the specialist who helps you learn how to re-swallow and, and do that. But they had to have the person on a computer screen, kind of like if you're seeing Big Bang Theory when Sheldon would put himself on the computer screen and go around and just have his face on, you know, I don't know, they were doing that on the sci-fi shows, okay. but you just see the face and it's on. Or a giant or a um, stop and shop with that contraption that goes around the store, you know, like personalizes the machine a little bit, but it can freak people out too, because you're just like, why is this machine following me? But anyway, Oh, it's like a robot with a human yeah, robot with a, a face. robot with a face to it. Yeah. yeah and then and it's it just kind like, of talks in someone's real yeah. voice, you know, or it could be the person's actual face and at the hospital. It. It's okay. the actual person's face All right. that shows up. And so the swallow therapist was talking to the, per- the translator to then give it to the gentleman so that he could understand what he needed to do. So as she's leaving, um, after doing the teaching of how to swallow, she said, oh, I'm sorry you had to be here. I said, that was fascinating to me. I said, thank <laughs> you. I, mean, like, I, I, I just like, I, I said, I love these experiences because that you were able to do that for him to help him learn how to swallow again because you have this technology that connected three different people in a way that would not have been possible years ago. Um, so that was, and you look at Zoom now too. It was so funny. I was listening to people when doing the work on Zoom and having groups there and everyone saying, oh, I have Zoom burnout and I have this, you know, I'm tired of being on video. And I would do team building programs with folks and I would say to them, you know, let's get everybody on the screen. We want to see your beautiful faces and things like that. And our programs weren't 
right away about work. It was about them as people. So we would do ways to, you know, have them talk about fun facts about themselves or, you know, there'd be other ways to get them to interact and tell personal stories. And what I would get as a review at the end of each of the Zoom programs was this is the first time I felt connected to people on this program. Like every other time it's just, we dive right into the work. We And it's like, if you just take five minutes Mm-hmm. Before any meeting, whether it's in person, on Zoom, hybrid, however, take five minutes to have everyone interact with each other, check in to say, you know, I'm having a great week or, hey, a parent's sick, so could I have some energy or prayers towards that? Or my kid got a license, so give prayer or energy also towards that. Energy. <laughs> exactly. So it, so it was one of those things. And if you do that, it first of all gets people away from whatever last email getting out of their car, phone call, sure. and it lets them then become present because they've taken five minutes to decompress from wherever sure. they walked in from, and they've had this time together. But it's also important to make sure people show up on time, too, that that's purpose-filled, too, that what you're doing is important. Right. And, I th- and if you don't have managers or team members who find it important, then the dominoes fall the wrong way. But if you say, look, this is really important and y'all need to be here at this time. If you have to stop your call five minutes at a time, but we want everybody starting at 10 a.m. Because that shows respect. That shows consideration. It's part of that being present in the moment, connecting with each other. You actually matter to me. The things that you're going to say, the time you're taking, the time I'm taking, right? It all. Oh yeah. No, it's, you know, and it's, I did a job yesterday with a group of people and it was, four teams going in a photo scavenger run around Central Park. And three of the teams went out, and it was a colder day. Three of the teams went out and did a great job. I think one of the teams, though, went to a restaurant, and they only took four pictures out of the 15 or 18 that they were supposed to do. But they called their team name Ambivalence, which I should have realized when they called themselves Ambivalence, that that's oh, how they were going to... So you sent them on a bit of a scavenger hunt? Yeah, like they do a photo scavenger hunt, take pictures. Yeah. And they said, eh, forget it, we'll take... We'll go into a restaurant we'll go, and have okay. coffee or hot toddy or so something or what whatever. Do you, what do you do with that group? Well, and it was funny because then they showed up late. Too. Yeah. So they didn't. Even, they weren't even there for the processing. Yeah. So at the end, I said, "Well, just because I want to do a recap of what we talked about, and we talked about how it's important to be here on time, and you know, like <laughs> that. You know, granted, there may be circumstances that come up in a work related when you're working with people. You have situations that can arise, and it might internalize, piss you off, or get you angry, or whatever the deal is." But you still have a job to do, and you still need to be present. And if you want to talk about it later to either the coworker or your manager, then do that. But when you're when somebody's paid for a program to come into your office to help work together, be present. Realize this is something that somebody thought this would be a good idea for you. And everyone else that participated had a great time. These people walked in late, and then because they only had four pictures, I'm like, can you load the pictures up to the, because I want to share the pictures. And then they are like, are these five the only ones you have? They're like, yeah, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Cause I've had groups like that before, but they lost out on the situation where everybody else. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I want to do is hopefully talk to that manager just to say, can we talk about this so that it helps your group, you know, in future, because the way the teams were put together that might not be good to have those folks together in the future. Like you need to get the other go-getters in with these people. Um, And it was funny because I met one of the people in the ambivalence team when I first got there. He was like, oh, you're here? Oh, that's great. And totally thought he's 
going to be into this. And then it was part of the team that was just like, no, we're just going to go and get a cup of coffee somewhere and just sit. And, <laughs> and, and I, and, you know, and so it, what it does is I don't get angry at it. I feel bad. I feel because they sure. missed out on the opportunity to connect. Like they connected in their own way. Right. But they missed out on the same opportunity as the other three teams did. So yeah. when 13 of them or 14 of them have one experience and then five don't, you know, it's like you have to redo it or do something sure. to get them back to on board. Well, and it's like the feedback that you were getting. It, you've made it about them. Yeah. And by making it about them, you're not getting personally affected by it anymore anyway because that's not what you're there for. No. You're there to just facilitate the thing that they were supposed to be experiencing. So it's probably a good thing that you more feel some sympathy over it. And they, they lost out or, you know, didn't get as much as they could have as opposed to getting frustrated and all oh, they everybody didn't get, you know, didn't partake and didn't you didn't oh, get what you wanted out of it. Well, well, at one time I was in Philadelphia and it was a team from Philly and a team from Atlanta and the Philly team was running it. And they were like, we want to keep our teams as city teams, like Philly against Atlanta. I'm right. like, well, is that really fair? Because <laughs> the Atlanta people don't know Philly as well. So they still suck because they're the clients. So I was like, fine, if that's what you choose to do, that's fine. So the Philly people are going, getting all the questions and answers. And the Atlanta people are like, yeah, we're just going to sit at the bar after the midway point. And the one person said to me, I said, well, no, you could get some other points. You could even take pictures in here. She's like, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm being a curmudgeon. I said, I'm giving you 50 points because you used the word curmudgeon. Just so that they get some points on the thing. Because I was just like, I, because I, I totally got where there was a no win situation for them in that. Because in all honesty, the Philly and Atlanta teams should have melded yeah. to, to yeah. that would have been the winning situation. Um, because you get everybody to know each other then. The Philly people already work with each other. The Atlanta right, people already yeah. work with each other. Get everybody to know each other. But you can only suggest so many times. And then you can also then evaluate afterwards and say, well, here's some ideas that might be able to work. But it's, you you also get the competitive streak for people when they're doing team building that they're like, well, we need to win. It's like, well, no, the winning is you're all a team together. If there's a token gift, that's fine. But that's a side thing. Like your winning should be that you're all a team together. So what um, do you do to get people to understand that? The camaraderie is how you win. <laughs> In my mind, there's a movie called Saved with a... Uh, with um, Jenna Malone and uh, Macaulay Culkin. It's a funny movie. It's a black comedy about like the extremism of Christian faith or whatever. Oh, I've seen that. And, yes, yes, yes. And they throw, and it's Mandy good. Moore throws a Bible at Jenna Malone and she's like, the Bible's not a weapon. <laughs> My mind just went, how do you get, how do you get them? You just throw the Bible I just throw a Bible <laughs> stacks, <laughs> stacks at a time. <laughs> so, uh, so there was a show called Alec McBeal where she would just vision things in her head if something yeah, was yeah. pissing her off sure. or whatever. And so I, my mind can go to that type okay. of thing. No. Um, so after that fantasy's over. Yeah, no, then I get into reality because that's what helps me stay sane with it too because you do, you can, somebody said to me, one time, don't look at obstacles as a brick wall. Look at them as, as an iceberg because you can get it around an iceberg. Brick wall, you might not be able to figure out like where to climb it because it's all flat and the you know you can't get your fingers in the groove. But an iceberg, you could at least get around. And then the iceberg image also was you can see the surface of the iceberg, but there's so much more below the water right, that you yep, can't see. Yep. So there's this imagery that mm -hmm. of what's really 
happening down there. And that's why I love to get into. So when I do producer calls with clients, I have a set of questions that I ask them. And I say to them, if a person reaches out to me to say, hey, we want to hire you, I say, great, we just need a 10-minute call. Because what I learned in the early run of doing this was if I don't have a call with a client, they put their expectations and I have my potential expectations and they don't necessarily mesh. And then it's like, oh, but we want this and we want this. I'm like, okay, well, that's not what we agree to. So I'm like, let's have a 10 minute call, yeah. figure out what you exactly want and go from there. Then I do a producer call. And one of the things I think that helped being in ministry or being in theater or being, you know, just an extroverted introvert or an introverted extrovert, because um, I probably flip back and forth, is that... I hear what they're saying when I'm asking the questions, which lead me to other questions to ask. And they're like, oh, you heard that, you know, or you realize this. And I'm like, well, yeah, you seem to be skipping over this or you're not really saying. And so I get further and deeper. And I think because of being a spiritual director, being a counselor for folks, you know, not that I have a the counseling degrees of, I have a minor in psychology, but I was able to pick up nuances for people. And so when I'm with a group, I utilize those skills. You know, I, I try to get them as people. What I always, my programs go from, you're going to see each other as people first, and you're going to do things as people first, then we'll get into your work and then we'll get into your roles because you need to see each other as people who can be a team who can work on the specific goal or task. And I think that's kind of my through line that I always go through with people. So I had one person one time reply when I did a survey they put in the survey, they said, you know, I hated this person, but now I know I can work with them. And I was like, oh, my job's done, which it wasn't. I worked with them a few more. <laughs> no, that's a few, huge thing but, to have. But, but, to, but to be able to say that, and I think that's one of the things that we get so caught up in, this person might be later, or they're going and talking to other people, or they don't work the same way I do. And when you realize and hear their stories and realize they're the same, like that we all have similar paths or we have similar hopes or goals or dreams or things that we've learned as lessons because we all get them. It's just how we interpret them and how we go about it and, and how we move forward with it. And so either people can get stuck in the mud or people can try and say, all right, you know, I'm not in the quicksand. I'm not in the mud. I'm going to try and walk with you on this path and figure this out. This is exactly why we're here today. Yeah. The podcast got going because our first conversation brought to light that the whole concept here was not what each of us is going through, mm -hmm. but the things that we all kind of share, not necessarily even with each other, but just the things that I'm going through as a result of what I've been through are very similar to some of the things that you're going through as a result of what you've been through. And like, like the commonality in there, it can really bring some people together. Mm -hmm. um, and the connectivity of people in the first place might be a really great way for later on in life when some of those people encounter somebody who's a curmudgeon or seems down or off or whatever it is, or just, just they're just a new person and they don't know them and they need to get to learn them, right? There's like, there's all these different levels to it. Yeah. And I think that's really great that you found there's like a little river of this path in and out of whether it's the corporate world or the spiritual world or whatever work you're doing specifically is the same work 
with all these different people too, right? Because you're talking about different ages, different levels of, of intelligence yeah. or professionalism, this and that, and that's, yeah. Oh yeah, and I mean, and that's one of the things with doing team building, I said it was the same work as my ministry work, except I took God, Ali, and amen out of it, you know? And so sure. it's the same work because it's all people, interactions and connections. And I remember there was even another time we were doing a group activity using improv and they were like, Oh, this one guy always just likes to mess it up, you know? And it was, it was something where they have to do, they have to tell a story, but not throw anyone under the bus. Well, he kept wanting to throw people under the bus. I said, again, and they had to do it again. And then he did it by the third or fourth time. He didn't throw anyone under the bus. And his coworkers came up to me and said, how did you get that to happen? I said, because I didn't give up. I said, yes, he may get on your nerves with it because you're with him every day. But if you give up, then he's just like, good, I got away with it. I don't have to participate in this. You have to still engage with the person and try sure. and find the avenue to that person. And I think because we're such a quick society now, folks there's a large number of people who want to have that connectivity and really have that patience with each other. Yeah. And there's those that just want to speed through and don't want to have to think about anything. And if I don't stop, I don't have to think or feel Yeah, like a protective mechanism for folks. I think some, okay. yeah, I think some it's a protective, you know, that they I skip over it. You can't deal with it or address it kind of, or thing. I can't deal with it. Or, right. Well, yeah. By you, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like we're, we're another, we're an outsider dealing it with, with them. But I think, you know, the number of people I know who, just, and I don't even, I, I was going to say blinders, but I don't even think it's blinders on it's, it's, it's just, there's a safety net that they found that this bubble that they don't have to deal with stuff. And if they can just be active, you know, they don't have to face it. And I think one of the things that COVID might have done for folks, well, it did, it slowed people down and people had a chance just to stop and reflect and figure out what was important. That's why family, you know, trying to have family dinners or, or doing things with the family is important. Although there, you'll hear the jokes of people saying, I can't wait to get back to the office because I don't want to be with my kids. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so, and I don't have kids, so I don't but know what that but means. For but for those people that you're saying just stay busy, 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 so they don't have to deal with anything. That was a real smack in the face for them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause they had to face a lot of stuff. Plus with everything that was going around, whether there was the people, with their, you know, losing senses with taste buds or stuff or people dying. Scared. It's like, wait, am I living my full life? Am I living my true life? Mm -hmm. And it was interesting hearing because I like living in New York and I don't know if this happens in your neighborhood, but you know, in New York, you might meet a neighbor, but most likely you're not meeting your neighbors as much. You know, maybe if you've bought the apartment, you've met your neighbors, but if you're renting, you may say hi, but you know, you don't really get to know them unless if some circumstance brings you all together. And I think it allowed people, like I heard people walking the streets or walking their neighborhoods and they were meeting people because they wanted to have that contact because they weren't having that contact anymore. So they got to know neighbors. They got to know people in their community because of walking around or doing stuff. But we, I feel like people lost that, you know, and, you know, in the driving communities, people get in their car and they just go right. and on the subway. Right. People put from on the, the door to the car from the car. To the yeah. Door. Or in subway, they'll put the earphones on or they'll, you know, read or they'll do whatever. And there's these things that take us away from connecting. But our whole 
aspect of humanity is being connected because we need people who know how to farm or know how to, you know, do the technology or know how to perform or know how to lead or do finances or all because we can help each other out. Right, right. Not everyone's mind works the same way or, or interest or wants. So that's why we need community to make it happen. But it's also, you know, people have to stay true to heart as well. And I think that aspect of either wanting more power or wanting more recognition or wanting fame or wanting this or wanting that can get in the way of realizing how am I treating my fellow person? Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, um, my parents used to say, and it was funny cause I always messed it up and I found out a few years ago that I was messing it up. But, um, I found out from a family member that I had was saying it wrong because they would say the umbrella of love, I would say they needed trust, respect and communication. What my family member said to me was, no, it's consideration. I was like, oh, you know what? And it's, and it changes it. Like communication should be there anyway, no matter what the deal is, but consideration. So trust, respect, consideration are under the umbrella of love. And just how I forgot consideration as the word under that umbrella, I think that's gotten lost in the world today. Sure. We hear about respect and trust all the time, but we forget about consideration yeah, of each other. It's just empathy and keeping an open mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's the key to everything, isn't it? Which consider empathy, yeah, empathy, and, and keeping an open mind to things. Oh yeah, right. Uh, I mean, that's the heart of yes. trying to understand and, and be connected to everyone. Yeah, I mean, and and social media, which can be a great tool because it's reconnected us, you know, yeah, to be able to, sure. to connect and everything like that. But I remember when um, it can be awful too. It can be, and that's yeah. So with the election in the past number of years with social media and people, you know, one of the things they always said is don't talk about religion or politics. That's everywhere. Out the window when yeah. it came to social media, that's all everybody, <laughs> that's all everybody talks religion about. And politics. Um, and so one of the things that, and it was funny because I would get messages from people I hadn't talked to in 20 or 30 years that would say, you know, one person, their father had just passed away and I sent a condolence message on Facebook, you know, just, you know, sorry that for your loss. And he messages me and says, can you give me a call? Now this is the day that his dad died. And I'm just like, oh, okay. And I'm like, I can talk to you later this afternoon. And he's like, okay. And he said, I just wanted to thank you for your posts and how you phrase things on your social media, because you do it from respect and and an empathy with people. You're never attacking where we see so many people attacking each other. Whenever you post something, it's never for an attack. It's for a conversation or to get people to think it's never, you need to believe this or else, you know, where other people will do that type of stuff. I'm definitely guilty of that. And, you know, and, yeah. and, and I, th I think a lot of people do that. And, um, you know, and if people try to attack each other on my comments on, you know, on comments on things that I posted, I would say you need to take this to yourselves because you don't even know each other. And I know both of you and I have a respect for both of you. I may not agree with what each of you are saying, like with one, you know, with maybe what one is saying, but I said, you need to talk offline because I don't want, you know, to use messenger or whatever, but I don't want my feed to be with all this hate, you know? And so for the most part, I mean, I would say 90% of the time I was able to get that to happen, you know, and, and it was so different for, and the reactions that I got from people, which I was so surprised. And one time I think somebody came after me for something and another person I went to school with and grew up with replies back, you know, 
Dan is all about positivity and saying happy birthday to people. And so I don't understand why he's being attacked <laughs> on this thing, you know, because they were like, they're like, Dan, did you see this? You need to believe that, you know, and it was, and I laughed because I was just like, all right, now I have people defending me on social media, you know, for this stuff. But I think it's, if you put the positivity out, hopefully it will come back, you know, and it may not come back to me, you know, it may come back to other people, but if it gets a person to stop and think before they react, that's my hope when I post things, you know, I was glad when I didn't have to do political stuff, we felt the need to put the political stuff out there as much, but now I just try to do it with a daily type of reflection, whether it's a Monday motivation, a Tuesday tip, Wednesday word, I do Thursday thoughts and I do fun fact Fridays and I just try to put things out there to get people to, you know, just stop and think, you know, and it's feel. A, it's at least light. Yeah. In the middle of all the heavy oh, stuff. Oh, yes, exactly. On, right? Like, it's, whether it's a little bit of food for thought or it's a little bit deeper, yeah. it's still pretty light. Yeah, no, from exactly. What I've seen. So that's, you know, just to keep everybody smiling. Yeah, no, and I think that's, and, you know, somebody one time said to me, I don't know whether to laugh at you or with you. And I said, I don't care yeah. as long as you're laughing. <laughs> you're, you're, you're laughing. Yeah, yeah if yeah. you're laughing, I don't care. Because, but when I was younger, would I have cared being laughed at? Oh, yeah, you know, and, but then I hit a stage of life where it was just like, no, you know, you can laugh. I mean, I know I, I can be goofy or I can say corny things or, you know, whatever the situation is. And, you know, that was, it took me 20 some years to try and only go on the standup, you know, and do that on the stage. And the first time I did standup was before I took classes. I had four long jokes, but I did them in a minute and a half and they should have probably been about three minutes to four minutes, but I just like, like and the guy's like, you have some more time. It was on my birthday. I, I, you know, and so I, uh, when I turned 42, um, so yeah, so nine, it'll be 10 years this, uh, this July coming up and I, did it. And I was like, okay, at least I did it. And I went and said, I'm going to take a class. You know, I went to Manhattan comedy school and took a class and performed at Gotham comedy and metropolitan room room because of those connections and did one at a library in Gillette, New Jersey with for senior citizens on a Sunday, which was very funny. Didn't even um, though it was a town, Gillette. It, it is. So uh, you, I, uh, you know, my courtiness, I was going the whole <laughs> shaving route of and, course. And, <laughs> and one traffic light. But, um, and so and they remembered the D's, these people that were in the audience that day. But what was cool about it was, um, you know, learning to craft it because whenever, when I did ministry, people would be like, oh, it's Dan Dan, the ministry man, or Dan Dan, the singing man, or Dan Dan, the singing, like singing or dancing or cooking man. Um, and I was like, I want my comedy to not have, you know, now I'm the team building man, you know, but it's like, I want my comedy to just be Dan. I don't want to have, and, and, and I'll tell the stories in one, one time when I, and I'll do more storytelling probably in my comedy. And I had two people reviewing me at Gotham comedy and they said to me, you're great with your stories. Like you have people intrigued, but you just need to do the hook at the end. Like don't tell mm -hmm. the actual fact that happened at the end, like hook it back into something from the beginning or whatever the deal was. And I thought that was, it was a great lesson that I want to get back into with that. But one of the other first lessons I learned when I started doing comedy was get the audience again, to laugh with you and at you in the first 30 seconds, because then they know they have permission to laugh at your stories and they can move forward with you and be with you on the journey rather than, you know, I, when I see comics attack right away or do things like that, I'm like, that's not, that it just doesn't do it for me for the humor. I prefer when you're engaging them with stuff that they can relate to. Sure. So, yeah, but I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, that's the style, right? You're connecting yeah. with them. And yeah. first, just get them yeah, right, right. I'm still Dan. I'm now just, the, yeah, just yeah, Dan, 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 the comedy man. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I will not ascribe any Dan Dan rhymes to you. You you're Dan. Thanks. I appreciate that. I've told, and I've told a bunch of stories at this point. I think at no point in time have I ever ascribed it. You are one of them. You are one of them. No, I mean, you, that's all I want to do right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can think about is Dan, Dan, the team building. The exactly. In my head. I'm a loop right now. But, I'll just get that out of your head by men in <laughs> thank you thank you because we had we were listening to right set i stole that from amy sedaris by the way but <laughs> on a jimmy fallon clip that they had together but yes yeah, so if you get a song stuck in your head just do five men in wow that's wow but they were talking great cue to get but they were talking it. about the song knock three times so he said well what if you keep having by men in your head she went knock three times so they went back to <laughs> it's a great segment on youtube if you jimmy fallon and amy sedaris so and then she teaches them how to cook hot dogs on a rake over a grill it's one of the funniest bits that i like it already yes yeah, so. i like it already you got to use a dirty rake, though. Well, she made it. She made it dirty with where she put the hot dogs on the two different guys that were standing next to her. So uh, it was. Uh, it, uh, <laughs> oh, she made, she made it happen with her. It was never going to be a clean joke. No, it was, no it wasn't yeah. clean at all during any of this stuff that she did. So, but if you want a funny comic, Amy Sedaris there. So check it out. One of the best. Yeah. I'm curious about a couple things. You shared the early memory of you sticking up for the girl at school when you were, what, you said you were a like, sophomore Like or 14, 15, yeah. yeah. Um, does that stick out to you as a, as a moment where you were like, hey, this is sort of what I do in life is like stand up for, wow. for people that need help or support? Is that a reason why like that's a, a story that you share that directed you for, or, or did you just kind of fall into to this? Because, I mean, you're also like the the baby of 10 kids. Mm. And so I think that also shapes you in a lot of ways too, right? Yeah. So. Probably, well, I always joke that I had 11 parents growing up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, the, well, it's funnier. So when I was, no, it's, I mean, it's earlier 10 probably. So I remember playing on the street with friends and, I don't even know. I remember we're on a porch and something happened. So then I became the lawyer and I was defending the kid mm. who was, they were trying to get in trouble with whatever. I said, fine, then let's have this like a court thing or whatever. Let's work it out right now. Present yeah. it. Street um, justice. Street justice. Yeah, so that's, what I, that's what I'll call if I ever do a podcast. No, I'm just joking. Um, no, I won't do that. But anyway, um, no, but yeah, I remember being 10 years old and being like, okay, I'm going to be the lawyer and defend you. And I don't know what it was. And so, I mean, one of the things that I haven't shared verbally on this podcast yet is, yes, I'm Irish and I'm Catholic, but I'm gay as well. So having to figure out who I was during my high school years um, and into college years. And probably it was towards the end of high school that I started thinking about it. It wasn't until the end of college that I probably started telling folks about it. But what the difference for me on my journey of figuring out who I was, was it was a spiritual journey. It wasn't physical because I was like, why am I made this way? And I had to figure out who I was. And it wasn't until possibly 23 or 24 that I had my first physical encounter, you know, with another guy. So it was me figuring, because the comedy I laugh at is when I would ask, uh, I think I asked three girls out from high school, maybe to college. And two of them were like, oh, well, you're just seen as a good friend. And I was like, okay, well, that doesn't help me with stuff. You know, I'm glad I'm a good friend, but you know, that's not helping me figure it out. I'll tell this story. I shouldn't tell it, but I'm going to tell it. <laughs> so the one girl that I did go on a date with, her name, uh, I'll just say Kara. <laughs> yeah, I'll say Kara because I don't know what her last name was. And people in my world have heard me tell this story. And so 
we go on this date and my brother was driving us because we didn't get our licenses until we were 19, I guess, in my family or whatever. My parents were like, no, you'll get it at 19. Or, <laughs> we have uh, 15 people that drive, so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that could have been the case. So so we went on this date. Well, I think she liked my brother more than she liked me. So we go on this date and she said, well, nothing's going to happen because, you know, I've had my period for 30 days. And I'm like, I don't think that can possibly happen. <laughs> but okay, don't worry, nothing was going to happen anyway with about wherever your period region was. So one of the jokes that I do say about me, or one of the things I say about myself is that I'm a platinum gay because I'm a C-section. So I've never been down in that area ever in my life. Platinum so gay. Platinum gay. So oh, I never one with of my a woman. favorite things that I've ever heard, Dan. <laughs> Golden Gay, I think are people who are never been <laughs> never been in that down region there. Yeah, uh, didn't come out, didn't come out, and didn't go in. But oh anyway, uh, so um, so um, so she brings this up and says this. So the next day, my friends at college are saying, "Oh, how was the date?" Because they knew it was like the first date. And I said, um, "Well, <laughs> I said let me explain it this way." I said. Kara said she had her period for 30 days or something. And I said, so all my head went was, Kara's flowing like a river. Kara's supplying the Red Sea. Oh. <laughs> Which is a church song that I just changed the words oh to. Oh, my goodness. And then they all looked. And I'm like, she's behind me, isn't she? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and she was behind me. Story. <laughs> Never saw it coming. Never saw it coming. And so... <laughs> And I was like, well, I guess that's never happened again. So. And she said, well, clearly you're gay if you're breaking out into show tunes. <laughs> but again, I didn't realize I was fully. I should have. But um, yes, yeah, so it was. Yeah, exactly. Well, and church songs, too. Right. Um, that was the other good one. You know, one of my funniest jokes is, you know, when I tried to figure out a career, I wanted something that had good stories and great clothes and, you know, you know, put on great productions. So as a gay man, yeah, let me work for the Catholic Church. Right, yeah. That's a push and pull. I mean, how, do you end up in the church because your family's very involved with the church, or is that something you? I had on thought about being a priest, uh, like from from the second jump? grade. Wow! Like I, when the Pope John Paul II came to Philadelphia in nineteen seventy eight or seventy nine, um, I said the mass with him in my living room with uh, Nabisco wafers and <laughs> like set up a whole altar. Um, so I was so I was somebody who was just. It, it, I was Catholic and religious, but I was spiritual. So, and, and my family, we were brought up to believe, you know, what we felt was right, you know, and, and a big thing that I grew up with growing up Catholic was moral decision-making. You know, they used to teach that in the Catholic church when we were growing up, you know, moral decision-making is you're presented with a situation you pray about it, you read about it, like to learn more, you ask questions to others who might be more informed, you pray about it some more, and then you make the decision. And when I was in college with one of the psychology professors that I took um, the course with, she said, I'm gonna present you both sides and you need to make the decisions. You know, I'm not going to say one where I'm leaning one way or the other, but you have to make the decisions. And I always thought that was the best way to teach a class. And another professor, doctor at the college said, we're in a teacher-student-student-teacher relationship. So I learn from you and you learn from me. But that's how we have that mutual respect for each other. So I think because of various things in my life and people that I got to hear those one lines from or and be in the encounter of a semester of classes or just that process that helped form me in, if I'm going to encounter somebody, what am I going to learn from them? What are they going to learn from me? And so, uh, 
even with me doing it from 10 years old of being a street lawyer, you know, to, you know, being the person listening in the makeup room at the theater, you know, with friends who were having issues. It's just, I was always the person people could come. I can even be at a bar nowadays and people will start talking to me and they're like, I didn't mean to get this serious. I said, I said, let me just share with you. This happens. I'm not trying like this. People open up to me. So have this you is ever met an angel before? <laughs> yeah, I got you. So, <laughs> um, yeah, with some devil. No, I'm just joking. But no, no, no. But it's, and that's, well, <laughs> students would say to me at St. Peter's actually, they're like, you're driving the express bus to hell. And I said, and you're all my passengers. So get on. <laughs> so, you know, even though I was the campus minister yeah. at the college, it was, it was one of these funny things where if we don't, see each other where we're trying to like, you know, you can call them flaws, but it's where you're trying to grow and learn. If we can't be there on the journey with each other through that, like I don't want the perfect person. I don't want the person who thinks, Oh, I have it all together. I want to be in the mud and, and get through to the other side. I love that so much. You know, yeah, little I love flawed, that. little character, yeah. little color here. And oh there, yeah. yeah. Experience. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe a little story, you know, I don't want to tell anybody about that. You know, yeah, just, no. we've all got to have, you have to, and you have to great. be able to laugh. I mean, you know, when I went to college with a guy, he was a year older than me or something, maybe or two years. And he did youth work in a different type of church situation. And I think we were going to go, a group of us were going to go to get a drink after some type of thing. He said, oh, I can't go in that neighborhood because my students are there, so they can't see me drink. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And he was like, no, they can't. I said, but you're over 21. And he's like, yeah, but I said, no, you have to show them responsible drinking. Like, you know, right. not that you, and I'm not pushing you to drink. If you don't want to drink, that's your choice. But don't drink because they could be there. Right. You should still live your authentic life as an adult. Or let them see you at that bar with us not having a drink yeah. because that's your decision. Because they, some of them are going to decide they don't want to do yes. whatever the group event is. And that's cool. To, you can, yeah. Hey, you can even come along. And have something else. And and exactly. And it it amazed me like when I, and I, I heard and saw that I was just like, you're well, and it it disconnects you. It disconnects your authenticity. It disconnects your ability to be able to be real with a person. You know, when we did a job one time with a bunch of people in Point Point Pleasant, New Jersey at the um, boardwalk. Yeah. Well, it it was an interesting town because we built a photo scavenger hunt for this team. It was a, it was a, um, retirement community or nursing facility, you know, senior living facility. And it was a lot of the maintenance workers. And then it was some of the, and then it was the administration, but there was more maintenance folks than the administration there. And I got up there and I didn't know what I was going to say. And I said, you are going to experience, and they were all from New Jersey area. So you're going to experience the Jersey shore. Like you've never experienced before sober. <laughs> I didn't even know what word was going to come out of my mouth, but I was just like, New Jersey, sure. What do people, they drink. So, and it's just and like, but it's like a split second, the word, cause I was like, I don't even know what I'm going to say to them is the word that, you know, they're going to experience, but, and that, and they burst out laughing and, and then they got into the program and they got into it because it's like, know your audience, yeah, right. know yeah, who's yeah. going yep. on. Um, I was with 300 lawyers from Chase Bank uh, in Washington, D.C., and there was a guy before me who does team-building talks, but he's known as the general, and I think he was on the think tank for security for the country because he was a real general. Um, But he would go and give these keynote speeches and stuff. So I was getting up to send 300 of them on a three-hour adventure through D.C. before they went to their dinner at the National Air and Space Museum. And... I get up and I'm like, hey, everybody, how you doing? I just started doing the 
stand-up comedy things. So, you know, I was learning a few other things. And I said, you know, we're going to get out there and you're going to get to know people. You know, we don't want, uh, you know, Joe feeling left out or Sarah, you know, somebody had said to me, sorry, this is what the deal was. Somebody said, isn't it a shame that your bartender, your barista knows more about you than your coworker does? And I said, so, you know, don't leave Sally in the corner or don't leave Joe under a bridge or, you know, Merv could get lost. Well, Merv's dead. I'm sorry. I said, so I said, sorry, Merv. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, he's calling it every time an angel a bell rings, an angel gets his wing. Um, the uh, no, so I said, so I said, um, you know, don't leave Sally out, don't leave Joe under a bridge, and you know, Merv could get lost. So, old Merv's dead. Well, they all laugh because they all got that I because wherever my mind was going, they got Merv Griffin in my because nobody's named Merv, and Merv Griffin was a big talk show host and he founded. Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune and stuff. But for whatever reason, these 30 and 40 and 50-year-olds who were in my age range got my Merv Griffin joke. It didn't go – they all burst out laughing. But even though I didn't even say Griffin – and it's like you just need to just feel the room and not overthink it or overplan it. And I see people – in ministry or in team building or, you know, that try to say, oh, we'll create this program and they overthink it. And but yesterday when I did fun facts with the group that I was talking about earlier, I said, we're going to do fun facts. They gave the eye roll. And I said, yes, I just read an article where they said, oh, fun facts are the worst icebreaker to do. But I said, not if you do it right. And I said, so the fun facts you're going to do is you're going to say your whole name, you know, middle, religious, nickname, maiden, whatever, where you were born, not where you came from today, because we don't always say where we were born. Mm. And the third question can be anything. I was your born in Point Pleasant, New Jersey. You were born in Point Pleasant. Oh, so there you go. All right. So <laughs> see, tying it back to the thing. So, um, and that's what I love too. And that's what happens during these fun facts is that people will find out oh, you have a set of twins or your mom's mm. name is Martha or, you know, just like Clark and Bruce did in Superman and Batman. No, they both have Martha as mother. No, I'm just joking. Um, but that's, that's a bad segue. That's not a joke. Uh, no, they did. That's why they made Batman not kill Superman, which was like, this is the stupidest thing in the world. But anyway, um, but no, but, but the thing that was funny was when we started going around, this one woman's like, well, when does the fun fact start? <laughs> we were like, well, they already have been. But I don't know what people do with fun facts that makes people say it's the worst thing in the world. Keep it simple. You know, I always say use the kiss method and I take the last S off because we don't have to say stupid. People can realize if they are or not, but <laughs> I don't have to say it. So I'm like, keep it simple. And it's like, but people overcomplicate things and it shouldn't be that hard to connect with people. It should be easy just to say, hey, I'm Dan. The joke that people would say at St. Peter's to me is that I'd always be like, hi, I'm Dan from campus. I'm Dan Cogger from campus ministry. I would say that every time I was walking around and everyone's like, we know you're from campus ministry. I'm like, but whoever you were with didn't know that I was from campus ministry, but I don't think other people did that. I didn't, and Joe, you might be able to say this, but I, or maybe you didn't encounter this, but it was one of these things that by doing that, I think it opened the door for folks who were gay or we're feeling like outsiders in other different ways or something because I approached them and said, well, this is who I am. Doors always open, whatever the deal was where a lot of people were like, you come to my office, you come see me. But I was always like, I was all over campus. You know, I, you know, I could be anywhere and folks would be like, you know, in Philadelphia, there's the ABC, um, action news. And they're like, there's that news van again. <laughs> I was like the news yeah, van, yeah. like I'd always just be there. So it, it was just, I, and then that's what I love 
being, you know, I, the, the one professor I said here, it's student teacher, teacher, student relationship. When I was back for my last semester, cause I had left college for a semester to go to a community college and it, they were like, aren't you done yet? I was like, no, this is like, I was always there. So well, yeah. see, I had kind of the opposite experience meeting you. <laughs> you weren't out and about and introducing yourself. I was brought to you. <laughs> Yeah, right. Like, like the mafia godfather of campus ministry at St. Peter's. He's speaking of some old friends, right? Yeah. These two come get me and bring me to your office. Like, oh, you have to meet Dan. <laughs> I come in and, and he's like, oh, so we're going to run this retreat. You're going to help us run it. It's good. Yes, no. Yes. I said yes. <laughs> and it was and it was funny because the two guys originally came up to me and were like, we want to do this Skyrish retreat. And we did a program called Emmaus, which they were pretty similar. You know, you could call it search, Kairos, Emmaus. A lot of them are the same principles of learning about your relationship with yourself, others, and God. And so I said, well, we do Emmaus. So why don't you try Emmaus out? And they're like, no, that's okay. We're, we're done. And they walked away. And I realized, <laughs> and what I realized was, you know, Okay, that didn't work out. So Catholic I school kids are arrogant. They yeah, uh, they stuck to their guns. <laughs> they did stick to their guns, and I yeah. and I appreciated it because I was just like, "All right, let me go and meet with them and say, all right, yeah. maybe I wasn't listening. Let's hear what you have to say.' Well, good on you. A lot of people would be rigid and wouldn't do it. Oh yeah, no, yeah. and that was one of the things. And I said, "All right," so I said, "What was it that I missed?" You know, and so they shared what they wanted to do. And I said, all right. I said, it's not in the budget that they're planning for this. So I said, let's figure out what we can come up with. So I said, get your students together that will um, help plan this. And I think it was like six or seven of you from Montan um, and a few people's parents. And I had a friend from Maryland that came. And uh, we did this retreat. And it had the most people that St. Peter's had ever had on a retreat with a grade of 50 or 60 people. I mean, I I mean it was, I, it was, I remember the building was just full of us. And yeah. we were like, I was, I went, I remember I went from sitting to sleeping to sitting again in conversations with people on the pool table mm -hmm. because we had just like overtaken all, cause nobody was going to bed because everybody's, you're up and you're yeah. talking and you're just right, you're into it. And nobody was going back to the dorms because that's where we all had to split up. Yeah. So we're just yeah. like, Human bodies draped over pieces of furniture, the pool table, the whatever you could find to like sit, fall asleep, sit yeah. back up, keep talking. Yeah. People would fall asleep next to you. The conversation would shift to the other direction and then it would like alternate. Like people would wake up over here, fall asleep over here. But there was like somebody was talking yeah. to somebody else for just days. Oh, yeah. And, and the interesting thing was we did it on a Monday through Thursday, I think. I mean, it was during the week that we did it over Christmas break. So the. It, the retreat came about starting advertising, I think, in October and, you know, had to be middle or end of October. And we had 50 people signed up who said, we're going to come back a week early from our Christmas break to go on this retreat, which was, I think, it's the Jesuit place in Staten Island. I think we were able to is get that. that. Where we were? I think we were able to get that house, which isn't there anymore. Um, Manri I think it was called Manresa, but I might be wrong on that. Um, and to have 50 people in a January before school started, like for these people to commit. And then the interesting thing was starting it. So we did it twice a year. So we ended up getting a spring one for whatever reason, because it was so popular that we decided, all right, we'll do the spring. And a person I worked with in Maryland, that was one of my volunteers. I called her up and said, look, these students want to do this retreat, but we have no money for it. She wrote a check for a thousand dollars right there. And then, nice. because you know, and she had no connection to the school, right. nothing at all. And, but it was just like, 
she was the only person I knew that possibly would have that type of money to help fund something like this. And we ended up doing them twice a year. And it was funny because one student um, who was one of my, he was my guitarist for masses for the music for the, that we did weekly. And he was like, Dan, I want to be a leader. Dan, I want to be a leader. And I'm like, yeah, you will be, you know, but for whatever reason, it was just like, I go by feeling and timing and I was like, you're good. And I know I want you to be a leader, but it's just not yet. And then finally had him as a leader. And the funny part is that he met his wife through the school, but they did the retreats together too. And now they've married with two kids and he's a professor out in the West coast, you know, and, or, and has a doctorate. And it's so cool because just his journey was, should I be at the school? Should I not be at the school? You know, this is how people might see me, but this is, you know, what is it that I want to be? And now he's a successful professor, you know, helping other students. And it's just great to see the dominoes when you see what people are capable of. And, and they're given a, an adult to say, you know, yes, you can. Yeah, I believe you know? in you. Right. Um, like, because a lot of there were students, <laughs> the retreat became a punishment for students. So if they got in trouble, they were told they either had to do community <laughs> or do hours or go on this weekend retreat. So I just was like, you're making the retreat a punishment? That doesn't seem yeah. like what it's so supposed I to be. Right? Well, but yeah. I laughed because I'm like, well, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, I'll, maybe I'll be a little obnoxious here, but I'm like, I know what we put on is good because, you know, I mean, it, we create good things. And I, I always worked with, I was the moderator for the, or the advisor for the class of 2003 for the four years. So I had, as I said, we built spaceships, we built, you know, underground sea type stuff. So I was like, what do we want to create? You know, so <laughs> I always believed in the power of community and, and, net, and the group team working that it wasn't just I, it was we that were doing this. And, um, so when these students who were punished would go on the retreat, they're like, we want to be leaders. I'm like, fine. Mm. Well, it, it pissed off the Dean of students so much. Cause he's like, but these kids are, you know, asses or shits or whatever, you know, and all that type of stuff. And I'm like, no, they're really great people. You just have to right. give them a chance. But he was seeing it as I need to punish them. And I was like, how can I lift them up and get them to be, you know, whatever they want to be. And one of the guys, Mike, who I've, run into in Philadelphia area at times and we've gotten together a few times and you know that was somebody I probably would never have met he was one of the, the athletes here never the whole group and he got a whole group of his fellow baseball players or other people involved and it was just really amazing and to see him with his wife now and the two kids that they have and it's just it's like if they only had the no you're not good enough and not the what can you possibly be and do um and I, you know that's one of the things that I love on that note. Um, cause I mean, I know what Kairos is. I went through it in high school. Joe and I have talked about it. You could argue maybe it's not such a good idea to do it in your senior year when you have two years or two weeks left in the school year, maybe you have a little bit, you know, more time to bond after the experience. But so I've never gone through it from a leadership mm -hmm. standpoint. So I guess what are some of the things that you guys are talking about? What, it, what is the goal of Kairos when you're planning it? What is the, the end goal here, I guess? <laughs> back when <laughs> back when they would try to do it in the day, they're like, we have to make them cry. They all need that's to cry. That's what it felt like. That when people were coming back and telling me stories, that's what it felt it's like. It was like the most honest answer yeah. anyone could give about Kairos yeah. and all of these retreats, I think. But <laughs> I, didn't, I learned that from you, not from you, but like when we worked on putting it together in, in college, 
And we actually like, we had the teacher's manual because we went and got the teacher's manual because that was us now. But we had just gone through it as students and we're looking through it and it's like every single thing in here is meant to like torture and swell up all the red trigger buttons for everybody. So they're just really easy to push for the next 48 hours. And then you make them, it's like, uh, it's like being, it's like being a prisoner. They're like, we, we got, no, we, we like, we, we make you tired. We get you really over emotional. Mm -hmm. We make it so you kind of can't control it. And then we get you to tell us everything that we want you to tell us. In high school, it's really like kind of manipulative. It, yeah, yeah. It does. In college, the way you're speaking about it right now, <laughs> in, in, this, in this college setting, I feel like I feel like that's also like the way the world used to be was a lot more like teachers tell students, and the way the world is now is a lot more like the way you're describing it, where we have we'll this teach each reciprocal other. relationship <laughs> where you're going to help me be a better, more intelligent person, but even me, the younger, less experienced, less intelligent, whatever, I have things to bring to the table and you're actually going to encourage to get those out. Like that's like yeah. you said, right? You, you could either be told, no, not good enough. And it usually only takes once, mm -hmm. or you could get lucky enough to have 10 different people tell you, you are good enough. Mm -hmm. See what happens yeah. and, and actually try it. Yeah, no. And I, and I think with what my style and approach was too is this program did want people to do that. And it took me probably three kairoses to finally get people to realize, no, the purpose is not for the crying. You know, like we, we had to get them out of that mindset of what they learned in high school or what they experienced in those situations. Because when you're a college student, when you're a high school student, you're wanting to stay up all night. So you're making yourself tired and you're doing this with yourself. You need to get to a point where it's like, we're in a safe zone here with one another and you will get emotional, but it's not to be gut wrenching. It, it's to, if, if you need a release of laughter or crying or, you know, anger or whatever, and not anger towards another person, but just like scream and let it out, then go for it. Cause this is a safe space for you. But when I would hear folks say, well, we need to get them to cry. And I'm like, no, but that's not, it's about building for themselves. It's not just the tearing down. It's not just and tearing using tear and tear together. It's not that purpose. It's how do you build people up? And I laugh because my company's name is Rock Paper Team and everyone's always like a rock, paper, scissors. I'm like, no, I don't cut people down. I build them up. <laughs> Which is what I've been doing my whole career, I mm -hmm. think, in my whole life. Well, I mean, my whole life, I guess, in ways. But I think that's one of the things of when doing these retreats, the first few years was, oh, we need to get them to cry because they cried. And it's like, no, it doesn't have to be like a hazing situation. Like, just because you cry, they need to cry. And, you know, whatever happens. I remember when we were talking about a mutual friend of ours earlier, and everyone's like, he hasn't cried yet. And I said, he doesn't have to. It's okay. And then the next day they all came to me, Asper broke down and cried in the dorm room. Like, you know, he got the retreat. He got the retreat. I'm just like, okay. But it wasn't like, you know, but it was so funny because the focus for them for that first year was just like, okay, are we going to get this uh, Well, yeah. Even as a participant, you felt that pressure to like, you weren't going to get not, that experience. Yeah. yeah. What's yeah. wrong with me if I'm not crying? Well, like that kind a, of thing. Yeah. As a leader, yeah. it was weird to realize because I had, I had already been, I was the, I was the the student leader of mm -hmm. all the student leaders right it was the rector was yeah. the role and so 
I I was almost given the teacher's manual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't. Nobody showed me those other couple pages, right? Where it's like, oh, this is why yeah. the it's the the breaking down part. I was mm-hmm. like, you don't have to just strip all this stuff away, yeah. and especially not at the end of our four year relationship together as students. Yeah, do it somewhere earlier it where we can like should be done in the fall where, where stuff, you yeah. can maybe build us up from it afterwards. Yeah. And actually, the people who went on the retreat in the fall did have the next six months together, seven right, months yeah. together. It mm-hmm. was the people like in Aaron's situation where they were still running the retreat in yeah. like the end of March or April. Yeah. And I was like, because oh, they want to make sure. You did this to us right before we graduated. Now yeah. nobody's going to have a good time graduating. Now all the parties are going to be sad. Yeah, because <laughs> they want to make sure that everybody gets to the retreat. Of and granted, there's the various different sports or or plays or other things that would people would have to figure out how they could schedule to go. Yeah, right. But, with but, 200 kids at the same time yeah. would be insanity. Oh, yeah. And I, and I think that's one. Of, and I know they would take some kids on junior year so that they could be the leaders in the senior year and all yeah. that type of stuff. And what was really cool about our first one – and it, so – I share this story too, is that I had never come out to students before in any of my ministry because my ministry was always usually with under 18 year olds up till that point of before working at St. Peter's College. And I had students on this retreat who were talking about issues with drugs or abuse or other stuff as, as part of their stories. And I'm doing the God's friendship talk. And as I shared, my whole coming out for myself was through a spiritual process of my relationship with God, you know, trying to figure out why was I created this way and everything. So I was like, I have to come out and do this, you know, and I don't think I had even fully said it to any of the students yet before then. So it was, I think it was Joe, your mom and Jan, who I brought from Maryland, Jan's doing, they're both doing Reiki. They're doing Reiki over me so that I could calm down because I was like, I need to tell, and we're telling this, my talk is in a cave in this, in this down in the basement for this for this talk for not, God's not friendship. Not in a closet. No, it wasn't a closet, <laughs> which would have been very funny. But a cave, cave is another just very funny portion of this. Shaking, telling this, telling my coming out story and my relationship with God, you know. And you get the hug. And so I got emotional in that because it was my first time sure. being able to be completely free in all my worlds. I had no more duality. My do because as somebody had shared with me in life one time, everybody lives a duality because there's the things you show and there's the things you might be living that you're not telling people. And I was a whole person in that moment. Um, and talking about connecting, I connected all my worlds in that one moment, probably, you know, because I had a person from Maryland from a life, you know, when I, I had great ministry work in and good friends. And she came to do that with me. I had these new community that I was building relationships with of the students and, and teachers and, and administration. And there is something magical or, or blessed about St. Peter's College slash university that people who come here build a great community. And I know every college or every university or schools will say, well, that happens at our place, too. But to bring over 70 countries represented together in a school with so much religious diversity, cultural diversity, and people saw it last year with the March Madness. You know, this school comes together and has a spirit that I've never seen in other places I've ever been. And I've been from D.C. through New York and L.A. and Seattle, and I've been able to work with places in between. And I've just never 
saw that support. And so when I came out, you know, people were giving the hugs and we're talking and the two guys who were originally like, well, we knew like, like did this whole sure, sarcasm yeah. thing. And everybody probably knew. I mean, I swore sweater vest for God's sake that everyone was just like, please stop wearing that was multicolored. Um, so I, I think that's part of why we were all so drawn to you in the first place yeah. is because it was never actually part of the conversation and you, it was never a thing. Mm-mm. No, and I it didn't. was never a thing for us yeah. because it was never for you. Mm-mm. And there, and I'm like, on one hand, I immediately, I'm like white, Caucasian, wealthy, black, gay, poor, me, describe me however you want, Dan, and like, and Justin. Which <laughs> 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 like, Ray, just like, Ray, any, any of us as a group were yeah. all so different. And yeah. you were just, it wasn't even like, flexible or accepting it was that none of that even mattered we mm-hmm. were just like we were there in the room who was here in the room you coming in you just come oh, on yeah. come, this is what we're doing come on in no and we even had a few uh, melissa and i don't even know who the other girls were from mondon that were part of the leadership that time but i know melissa was one of the leaders Mel- too melissa is one of the people actually i'm still friends with melissa yeah. just social media yeah. but we do you know send each other love mm-hmm. every now and then it's like a little message about each yeah. other's families oh and she says happens. the same thing about you yeah and um and her her uncle who didn't even speak very good english uh, at the time her very Italian uncle oh. was with us. Oh, was he, he there too? Yeah, oh. he was. I don't know if he came as a leader or as like just an extra adult chaperone. Oh, okay, yeah. From, it's you know yeah, it's it could been have. so many years. And was her, and was Mark on there too? Was uh, Father Mark on that? Richard, he was he on that was, first yeah, one. That, he, he was, was on that yeah, first one was, too. Yeah. So it's just and and everybody who came together for that rich like it was just. Like there were the there were known entities and there were unknown entities and it, and it, and everybody just blended and meshed and it, it created a path for the next four years at least for the class of two thousand three for me because there were people who were sophomores and juniors who were leaders on this but with all of you who were part of this it just created this bond that continued to grow and new people came in and no matter what years and when the newer years came on too there was something that like even all the people in my life are like you know why didn't you go back to St. Peter's work. I said, well, actually, I don't know if they're even hiring with stuff, but <laughs> it's it's one of those things that it was such a great four and a half years for me being at the school, like for, for ministry, for life, for being whole. It was, it was unbelievable because then when I went to California, I was being discriminated against because I was gay, not from the staff. Well, it, 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 an assistant wanted my job and it was all because they wanted my job. And I got a call from a girl from the day before Thanksgiving after we had done a retreat with the students for confirmation. And she's like, well, we all got together last night and we think you're gay, so we don't think you should work here. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you Most- take rock climbing for your college course, so I don't know where your smarts are, honey. But, you know, I said, well, I said, I was hired and they know everything they need to know about me here and I've been hired and I'm going to be here. So, but thank you for your past volunteer service and we won't be needing your help anymore. Thank you very much. And I just was like, you know, and I, you know, and it took two years and go back to the story saved. I didn't know that it was a black comedy of Christianity and I got free tickets to this movie. So I give it to my assistant and his girlfriend and another student and say, Hey, go to this movie. You know, it's a Christian movie. It should be good. (laughs) Don't use the Bible as the weapon is this movie. Um, 
he came back to my other assistant, Sylvia, and said, did he send us there on purpose mm-hmm. to teach us that? And she said, what are you talking about? He said, this is what the, she said, he had no idea. He literally thought it was this. So I went, so she tells me, and I finally go to go see the movie and I'm sitting there horrified, but like, oh my gosh, like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> like, you know, like that, because I couldn't have said it better. And he came up and apologized to me and said, I'm sorry for what we've put you through. Wow. And, um, we're not, this isn't happening anymore. Cause it all, they all just wanted him to have this job, but there was a group that liked me too, but it was just this funny circumstance. And I always laughed cause I said my two times being discriminated against were in California once on a, on an actual gay tour of the Castro because another guy, because I worked for the Catholic church, he was angry that I worked for the Catholic church as a gay man. And I was like, wow, I've never been discriminated for like on anything. And then from this church, and it was really interesting for me just to be like, we still had to work together. We still had to do things. And I was like, I'm not going to judge you or hold this against you. Like that, you know, we're not friends, you know, and that's fine. Cause you're not friends with all your coworkers, but we still have a job to do and I'm in charge of this. So I have to go the higher road and I will go the higher road. And, but there are a lot of people who won't. And when you were saying about the manual for teachers, it always concerns me when you put teachers in a spiritual setting for students, like if they don't have psychology or they don't, you know, I, I remember they were giving the football coach the, campus minister job when I was leaving the high school I worked at because they were like, because they didn't like me as a teacher. And I was like, that's fine. Cause I was probably Michelle Pfeiffer from dangerous minds <laughs> giving everybody an A plus. But, uh, but you know, he, the, what the, what the headmaster said is as a minister, I can recommend you 200%, but as a teacher, I can't. I said, then why not make me the campus minister here? He said, well, I think we need the football coach because he, he'll relate to them and stuff like that. My goodness. And I'm like, wow, you're just missing that because all they did on the retreats on our Kairos at the school was tackle each other, you know, and do stuff like that. I'm like, you can do more. Like they can still do that, but they still have to have the other things. And I found it amazing, the short sightedness of that, because it's like, yes, you may have a certain audience, but try to elevate how you see them. Don't just think, oh, it's a bunch of, it's all boys school. This is how they should behave. You can get the mixture of everything because you have various teachers on it, but you need a leader who can pull out what's important and not focus on the thing. So your connections can go either really great or they can be disjointed because somebody thinks, oh, we need to have this present to make this happen. And you're stifling what could possibly happen because you're not letting the flow or energy go. You're putting preconceived ideas in there. So yeah, I don't know. So I think, I think it's awesome because for once we're talking about the universal stuff between people and the connections between people ahead of time Mm -hmm. and making the connections and being considerate in advance of even coming across a situation or meeting a person. And usually what I'm sitting here talking about is like, what, where are you now after you've been through stuff? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and we've certainly talked a little bit about like where we've been and where we are mm-hmm. now, but even, even while we're talking about it, the whole focus has just been a little bit more current and mm-hmm. like an ongoing, like part of our living. Oh yeah. You know? So that's been, that's just been really nice to get a different perspective on the things that are shared between us. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, with, you know, life as a journey, it's funny because, oh, uh, when I probably when I moved to Seattle or LA and I was, and I came back at the beginning of the end of 2008, beginning of 2009 and, you know, ended up working in banking, which was not my field and then ended up working for a team building company and then opening my own team building company. And I've done things that will scare the hell out of people, you know, like doing those type of stuff. 
and I would move, you know, I'm from Philly, but I lived in DC, New York and, um, you know, or DC, Baltimore, uh, New York, New Jersey, and then LA and Seattle, as I said, I had no issues doing any of those things. And it's funny because I have to remember who that Dan is because as I get older, it's like, oh, wait, can I do this or can I fit in this? And it's like I have all this past experience to tell me, yes, I can. But then there's this older side of me that's like, well, wait, you should be more settled or you should be doing this, or you should be doing that. And it's this tug of war of figuring out, you know, still stay true to who I am, but figuring out where there's balance or where there's where the completeness can be, I guess. And, you know, as I shared before, you know, I had thought about priesthood, but then it was like, I didn't enter priesthood because I was like, I need to have a relationship before I enter because. Like a heterosexual relationship? No, homosexual. No, gay, gay relationship. Oh, okay. No, 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 gay relationship. Oh, no, yeah. Because remember platinum, never down that area. So, yeah. <laughs> um, no, no. So, um, yeah, no, but I, I needed to experience who I was fully before entering priesthood because I didn't want to enter priesthood and cheat on my vows. Sure. I yeah. wanted to have that integrity of yeah, looking yeah. in the mirror. Now, I know many people who have different situations and that's their choices and stuff like that. There's no judgment on my part. That's what the, but for me, I was like, I need to be able to look at myself in the mirror. And in the past year or so, I've been looking at, do I want to see if priesthood could still be a possibility because I've had two relationships and they were fine. But also it's like, but I also deserve a relationship, but I've not allowed myself like a real one. That's a partnership. Not that I have because the other two relationships were good, but they didn't give me the fulfillment of what I think a relationship should be. So it's like, and when you get older, you can get more jaded in that aspect of like, wait, there's the compromise, there's the consideration, but I want to enter into that with somebody who could be a good partner and we both lift each other up. So it's a matter of finding who that person is. So it's like, I'm opening myself up to so many different areas with the career and with the personal life and, you know, with, with all those different aspects. And I think that's where for the past, like I restarted spiritual direction for myself to be, to have a spiritual director. And that's been great in just tapping into me as Dan and not me as like the worried Dan or should I be doing this now? Or what should I, you know, it's like, no, still believe in yourself, still go forward, still make these things happen. But where I was feeling disconnected with myself and getting myself back to the whole Dan, I guess, again. So you're being considerate of you for a change. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. And, and that's, like yeah. Taking, taking a little time to just like back off a little bit mm -hmm. and figure yeah. yourself out. Because you can only, you, if you don't have the reserves in yourself, you can't give to other people. Yeah. Sure. And for, a few years ago, I was like, I have no more that I can give mm -hmm. because I'm at my lowest. And I think that's one of the things that's healthy that people are starting to talk about mental health and do all those things because... I read an article recently that just said something where it was like, you know, mental health is still the one stigma that people are afraid to talk about. Although people are starting to talk about it, sure. they have to get rid of that stigma. Right. And, I, and I'm like, thank God people are talking about it because we all go through things. And just because you may not understand why me being gay and growing up in, you know, a world where when I was in grade school and high school, people were like, oh, you fag or you're gay or this or that. And I'm like, I don't even know what some of this is or now I'm starting to know what it is, but it's all derogatory. But I still have to be strong enough to be me. But yet I didn't feel comfortable. Like, you know, I love that these kids nowadays can be their full selves. I also resent them in some ways, it, you <laughs> <Sure>. know, <laughs> to be to be realistic, yeah. that they have all this. But I had people that helped me come out 
when I could come out. And because of our generation, these younger kids are able to come out, you know, earlier and be who they are and be authentic. And it's like, if I, I say I don't live with any regrets, but if there was an area where it's like, I wish I could have just been my complete self in high school, you know, in college and just been like, nope, I want to date a guy, you know, and there were people who were doing it. But as friends of mine said, well, you were wearing a chastity belt of a priesthood. So no one was going near you because they didn't want to go against God. So I thought that was very funny when a friend of mine told me that one time, uh, that no one was going to try to unlock that <laughs> chastity belt. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, but I think that's one of the things of, you know, as I get older and I see people who are either in religion or left religion or spiritual or not spiritual and trying to, or how they were brought up, trying to let go of those constructs that we were given in our earlier years to say, how are we free? You know, and, and how do we get those voices out of the head? You know, mm -hmm. as somebody, I, one quote I said, said, you know, the keeping busy lets you outrun the voices, you know, by doing stuff. But you also have to deal with the voices as you get every accomplishment. Don't just keep running and not get rid of them because the, the, when you stop, they'll all be there. But knock them down, you know, like get them out of your mind so that you can say, nope, I got rid of that, de you know, demon or situation. Or I got rid of that thought and moved forward. So, yeah. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's not. I, I certainly relate. I mean, recently I've definitely like backed off of staying busy. That's a tough thing to wrestle with as well, because you feel like, well, I feel like, you know, there's the, the voice in my head is like, you should be doing more. You should be doing more. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? What are you doing? But I've pretty recently just been pretty happy with taking it easy. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's sort of, I saw something the other day that, that kind of uh, struck with me. It was like, I feel guilt of being lazy. You know, you can feel that of like, maybe you're not doing too much, but like maybe you're being lazy isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like it's telling you that you don't want to put your energy into something that you're doing, you know, and maybe it's something else that you need to be doing that you're subconsciously kind of telling yourself that like, no, maybe you need to go in a different direction. So that's, I relate to what you're saying, because that's kind of where I'm at now, where it's like, you know, the voices in your head and you got to be kind to yourself. Yeah. Well, and I think when working, if you work on your own or, you know, you're not working with a team of people, mm -hmm. you know, or working, finding jobs, you know, yep. as, as you've shared, you know, with your work, you know, you, you do these with the podcast and, and the albums in the past and, you know, you're getting to work with somebody, but then when that work's done, it's like, okay, who's the next client or who's the next exactly. project or yep. who's the next thing. And that gives you that downtime that yeah. makes those thoughts right. come about. And, you know, when I was working at schools or working at churches or working in the bank, it's like, okay, I had a job to do and I had to get things together and then the extras could happen. And I was busy and I had to fit it into the rest of the schedule. So I think that's one of the things that working on my own in the company, it's like, you know, there are those times of what what's going on in my head, you know, and what, what am I needing to overcome or what am I feeling accomplished about or what's happening? But then it's, you know, how do I get my world to have more people in it constantly? Cause that's what gives me my energy and drive. Right. Because when I have the people in my orbit constantly, there's my responsibility to them. There's their responsibility to me. It's, it's this, the comedy 
of it all is my big word of my world is connecting people, whether it's through humor or spirituality or other things, but I'm not fully connected because I don't have a constant in my life of, you know, I have lots of different people and lots of spokes and that's great, but I don't have that constant connection, you know, and I think that's one of the things that I do want to see in my life. Again, you know, I used to either have a church community or at a work community, or maybe I was around family or, you know, there was a group of us living when we lived in California, group of us lived in the same apartment building. It was like a Melrose place. Everybody knew each other that, you know, we would talk and we would have Thanksgiving together and things like that. So it was just, I've been able to build those communities. And in this past year, I've started to redo that for myself by going consistently to um, places and meeting people. And then, you know, within the past month, we've started going to movies instead of just being at this bar and restaurant. Now we're doing movies together. We're doing theater. And so it's building into more stuff. But it's I had to put myself out of an isolated yeah. space, mm-hmm. you know, especially with working in from home and being there over the pandemic, it was like, nope, I can't, I need to be connected with folks. So yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, it's good to think, but it's better to have purposeful acts that go with the thoughts and the feelings, you know, don't let it just swim in the head, but keep a constant motion that allows you to deal with all of it instead of the others who might just go forward and be in a bubble, not thinking about it, like letting it get. Yeah. I think that's been a conscious decision of mine is to not just go through motions and do what you think like you should be doing or something. I want to be very purposeful with my time now. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's something, I think that's what's changed for me recently Mm -hmm. is that, is that, yeah, just being very purposeful and and moving in a direction that I want to go in. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and when, when the pandemic happened, um, we, I started two nights for reflections. Uh, one was just for people or whoever was on Facebook and wanted to come into a zoom. That was fine. And the other was for St. Peter's alums that, that I was doing this for. And we might've had, we had probably eight to 10 consistent from the alums who would do it. And the Wednesday is the one that kept the Tuesday didn't. But what the common theme for folks was, is, you know, you have all these, when you're in school or if you choose a Catholic college or whatever the deal is, or maybe if you're in a good community at, you know, with, and I'm not saying Catholic college, but, you know, a college with a um, religious focus, you have people who, um, you have, you know, you have opportunities to do reflections, to have spirituality, to have these different things happen. But when we're adults, if we're not a part of a church or community or group, that's all swimming in our heads. So it's like, where we find the answers. Nobody's running retreats for us anymore. No, exactly. (laughs) You know, and it's like, and maybe it's not stepping forward. And it's like, part of me is thinking like, what can I do for adults who have been through these programs and had these great changing experiences in their high school and college and they've had their kids and maybe their kids are now getting to be high school and twenties. And they're like, I have now time to think about stuff. And so how do you create something for people to be able to say, we're going to go off and do this where it's like adult Kairos or adult Emmaus or, you know, something that, sure. you know, but yeah. So, and ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to announce the first adult Kairos <laughs> here on this podcast. <laughs> if you want to reach out to oh, man. very heroic living, it will make it happen for you. So, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> but yeah. 
Well, look, we better wrap this up before I end up with a boot on my car. My first trip back to Jersey City in 19 years. Welcome back. Welcome right. back to Jersey City. Oh, yeah. and nobody's sung Mr. Cotter to me in a long time. This wow. isn't how I want it to happen today. All right. Let's let's just, let's get out of here before the boot comes through. Um, what was the umbrella again? It's uh, uh, trust, respect and consideration. Trust, respect and consideration. Loves the umbrella in there, the three under it. Yeah, that'll get you far. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks, this was great, it was great to see you. Yeah, great to see you too. Great to meet you, Aaron. You so. as well. <laughs>